It's a powerful moment in all of our lives. When it happens, it often feels incredibly ordinary and mundane while you're in it. But later on, you look back on it and you go, that was huge. It often happens for us when we're children or in adolescence, but it doesn't have to happen in that period of time. But, but in that moment, something unlocks within us and it sets us up for the rest of our lives, the trajectory of our future. What, what's the moment we're talking about today? It's that moment when somebody tells you that you're good at something. That first time that somebody points out to you, often somebody who's older than you, wiser than you, more experienced than you, that, hey, what you just did, you're good at. You did well at that. And the first time this happened to me, uh, when it comes to a particular thing, uh, I was a teenager and I was standing on a stage kind of like this one. And I was reciting a speech that I had memorized. It was Henry V's speech at Agincourt in Shakespeare's Henry V. It's a great speech. Just reading it, you get excited and stirred. And and I had memorized the heck out of that thing. And so when I gave it, I I gave it all I had. And I walked off that stage uh, excited. And people said, hey, you were pretty good up there. You weren't as nervous as we thought you would be. You kind of look a natural up there. And here I am, almost 25 years later, doing what a lot of you would only be caught dead doing, <laughs> speaking publicly. And, and those words from people whose names I don't remember, they played a huge role in the shaping of my life. Right now, what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that time for you in your past, if you can remember. Can you remember where you were? Can you remember what you were doing when somebody said, hey, you're, you're pretty good at this. You may have some future with this. Can you remember who it was that told you those words? Can you remember how old you were? Now I want you to open your eyes. And if you can remember that moment and that story, I want you to turn to the person next to you and share it. So right now, we're going to get some sharing music going, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and share that memory if you can remember it. Okay, if the other person hasn't gone yet, let them talk. Stop talking, extrovert. Now, I I start there because of where we're going to go in the message. But before I go any further, I just want to encourage you that if in the process of you thinking or you sharing today, a name came to mind or a face came to mind, I want to encourage you to tell them if you can, while you can. As a pastor, one of the the saddest things for me is when I'm at a funeral or I'm watching somebody's family go through the grief and loss of losing them, and, and somebody says something in a eulogy or somebody writes something in a Facebook post, and the one person who needs to hear it can't. The one person who wa- should be able to read it can't. And so I'd encourage you, if, if that person came to mind today, reach out to them while you can. 
Now, we started here because we're going to talk about in this message today the, the gifts that we've been given and how we are to use them, but a little bit of context. We started a series last week called Help, I Need a Relationship Reset, because the last 18, 20 months have done a number on our relationships. Many of us know people, well, maybe we used to know them, now we don't know them anymore. Or, or maybe, maybe relationships that were very close are now strained. Relationships that, that once could hold a hard conversation now can't even hold a dinner conversation. And we're talking about how do we go back and hit the reset button and begin pursuing a healthy relationship with the people around us again. And we're, we're camping out in this beautiful section of Scripture, Romans 12, 13, and 14, to guide our way through it. And if you missed the message last week, our website is prescottcornerstone.com. Click on the watch tab and you can find that message. But today we're going to talk about resetting your attitude. Because our attitudes influence everything, especially the way that we show up in relationships. And so here's the big idea we'll be tackling today. That everything you have is a gift from God. So live accordingly. Everything you have in your life, whether it's a tangible thing or a relationship or an opportunity, everything you have is a gift from God. So live accordingly. I mentioned we're in this beautiful section of scripture, Romans 12, 13, and 14. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to open up to Romans 12. Romans is about 90% of the way through the Bible. It's after Acts and before 1 Corinthians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. And he shares with them in the latter part of this letter about how they are to live in their relationships with others. We tackled verses 1 and 2 last week. We're going to tackle verses 3 through 8 today. And if you're here in the room, I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor God's word. Paul says this, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have mercy, sorry, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Jesus, we pray that not only would you help strengthen our relationships today, but we pray that you'd help us to reset our attitudes too. May our eyes and ears and hearts be open to whatever you want to say to us today. And I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Now, under that banner uh, of resetting our attitudes and recognizing the fact that everything we have is a gift— Today, I want to talk to you about three ways to live in light of God's gifts. And here's the first one. We're going to start where Paul does. We're going to start with this. Don't think too much or too little of yourself. 
Don't think too much of yourself, but also don't think too little of yourself. Paul begins this section of Romans chapter 12 by saying this. He says, for by the grace given to me, he's recognizing that the only reason he's got a place to speak to them is because of God's grace. Remember Paul's history. Paul is the first terrorist to come to Christ. We use that word in our world, and it's a very loaded word, but in the day of Jesus and after, Paul was a terrorist. He was going out and murdering Christians, and they were terrified when Paul came to town. And so he's saying, hey, I'm writing to you today because of the grace that God has given me. And it's by that grace that I tell you what I'm going to tell you today. And what he tells them is he tells them that they ought to not think of themselves more highly than they should, but instead they th- should think of themselves sensibly. Now that, that word there, think, comes from the Greek word phroneo, which means to, to think. It's a, a mindset or an attitude. And so he's saying when you think about yourself, the mindset you should have about yourself, the attitude you should have about yourself is one in which you don't think too high or too low. And the, the word picture that Paul is drawing here is of sobriety. Your translation may say, think soberly about yourself. And we all have met people along the way who were not sober when it came to themselves. I'm not saying that they liked the beverages. What I'm saying is that they were drunk on themselves. They were not able to see themselves clearly. There was something creating uh, ambiguity or a lack of clarity in their own self-image. And what, what Paul is saying is when you think of yourself, think of yourself soberly. And in our world and in our day, we, we have these two temptations that, that kind of lead us away from sober self-image. One is pride, arrogance, the N-word, narcissism. We, we live in an age that seems to pour gasoline on these attitudes. I, I think that there was an era in which we, we thought no one cared about certain parts of our lives, and now... We're posting and sharing as if everyone can and should care about those things. And if you're somebody who has a tendency towards pride, towards thinking more of yourself than you should, this is a difficult age to live with that challenge in. And Paul says, don't think more of yourself than you should. At the same time, though, the the other challenge is also present in our world today. Insecurity. Self-doubt. Anxiety. Thinking less of yourself than you should. I don't think it's disconnected that we are experiencing unprecedented levels of insecurity while we're also experiencing unprecedented levels of digital engagement. And what Paul is saying here in Romans 12, 3 is that because of God's grace, you can have an accurate view of yourself. You can see yourself not more than you should or less than you should. Because of God's grace, you can think of yourself sensibly or with sober judgment. And that only happens because of God's grace. Our culture is not going to give you that. They're either going to overinflate your ego so that you're proud and arrogant and then later on celebrate your fall. 
or they're going to fuel your anxiety and your self-doubt and your insecurity because they can make money off of that. And it's only because of God's grace that we can have an accurate view of ourselves. I love what Scott Sauls says about this. He says, only in Jesus are we fully known and fully loved, thoroughly exposed and never rejected. A couple weeks ago, uh, NFL coach had his emails exposed for almost a decade. And he lost a hundred million dollar job. I wonder what would happen if all of our emails got exposed. Every text message, every email, those of us who were around during instant messaging days, what would happen if all of those just got posted somewhere on the web for you? What would happen if you were thoroughly exposed? See, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus knows everything about you. He has everything about me. We are fully known to God. And in that place, we are fully loved and never rejected. And that's why what the gospel and grace offers us is not found anywhere else. And it's the only way we can think of ourselves clearly. But I want to go back to something I skipped over earlier in verse 3. Paul says, I tell everyone among you this. I'm not sure if you were aware of the dynamics of the church in Rome, but, but it was an incredibly diverse place. It was, in fact, the only place in the ancient city of Rome where the entire city came together. When Paul's writing to this, everyone among you, this is who he's writing to. He's writing to the rich and to the poor the rulers and the ones being ruled, the slaves and the masters, the educated and the uneducated, the men and the women, the young and the old. You see, there is no caste system in the body of Christ. There is no hierarchy. This is a place where we are all on level ground. And even though I'm standing up here, I'm actually right here. I'm up here because I'm easier to see and the cameras catch me better. I didn't tell the team I was going to do this. So if you're watching at home, I may not look as good as I did five seconds ago. <laughs> but I'm making a point that at the cross, the ground is level. And for those of us who are arrogant, it lowers us. And for those of us who are insecure, it lifts us. And this is really important because some of us have real issues in this place. I do. When I first moved to Prescott five years ago to become pastor of Cornerstone, it, it was a nerve-wracking, insecurity-producing thing. Because I had never done this before. And I didn't want to go around telling people, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. That doesn't just engender trust and following. And, and I went back and I found something that a mentor of mine had given me. And I used it in a devotion with our staff. And this week I found it up next to one of our staff's desks five years later. 
My mentor gave it to me, and his mentor named Wally had given it to him. And he called it Wally's Wisdom. And Wally told my mentor, you have nothing to prove. So don't be defensive. And if your best is good enough for God, it'll have to be good enough for everyone else. Don't take yourself too seriously and lean into your critics. And this wisdom has served me so well. If you're watching online on our worship resources page, there's a little button there that says Sermon Extras, and I've loaded up a PDF version of that if you want to download it there. But this has helped me to practice Romans 12.3, to not think more highly of myself than I should, because guess what? My critics may have a point. But also not to think less of myself than I should because I have nothing to prove, because I have a God with whom I am fully loved and fully known. I'm thoroughly exposed and I'm never rejected. And so Paul begins this message about resetting your attitude by saying, hey, don't think too high or too less of yourself. But he goes on, number two, he says, what we're part of is bigger than our one part. What we're part of is bigger than any one particular part. If you have your Bible open still, go with your eyes to to verse four. He says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So so Paul begins by saying that we have many parts, and this is an indication of the diversity that's present in the body of Christ. So often I hear people say, you know, I I walked in the room and I I didn't see people who were like me. And I want to say, that's the point. That's the point. One of the sad things over the last 18 months is that churches have begun to sort into more homogenous units where it isn't just that we look like one another, but that it's we vote and we have political alignments with one another. And back in the church in Rome, they didn't have that. Remember that list? It was a place of diversity. And so not only are are we diverse in what we bring, but we're also diverse in the gifts and the talents that God has given us That's why we actually have a need for unity. See, if we were all the same, we wouldn't have a need for unity. Jesus talks about unity because we're not uniform. And he says we are one body. What that means is that he's brought together all of these unique pieces into a unity that only he could produce. And then he says this. He says all parts do not have the same function. That means we have limits. And friends, if there is anything our modern world struggles with, it's limits. We all want to live as if we have unlimited resources. But we don't. We want to live as if we have unlimited time. But we don't. We try to live as if we have unlimited energy. And so the stuff we drink and the stuff we eat, we think will make us just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Until our body says, hey, I'm not an unlimited resource. And so what Paul is saying here is that in the body of Christ, if you don't have all of the gifts, then you have limits of what you can do and you need other people to lean on. As the body of Christ, there are no lone rangers and there are no superheroes who can do it all without help. 
In this picture in Romans 12, 4 and 5, what what Paul is describing is a a community that is interdependent. There, There is a need for us to rely on other people because we don't have all the gifts that are needed. And this speaks powerfully to our world and our moment. Because on a regular basis, I read and hear people who say, I love and follow Jesus, but I don't need the church. And it's almost as if you're staring at a box that once contained a Mr. Potato Head. And an arm is saying, hey, I don't need the church. And it's like, well, you can't do a whole lot by yourself. You can't do a whole lot without all of the other pieces connected and bonded together. Yes, you are part of the church, but you are not the church, and neither am I. And what we're part of is bigger than any one part. I love what Tony Evans says. He says, because you're part of the body, you matter. But because you're only one part, it's not all about you. And that's the tension. Some of you need to hear today that you matter. That you have gifts and talents that God has put in you that we will be missing if you don't plug in. And and one of the hard parts of this last year may have been that you you felt overlooked. You felt like you didn't matter. You wondered if anybody noticed. I I mean, you're watching online. How do they know I'm here? But on the other side, some of you need to hear, it's not all about you. And you're only one part of a larger whole. And this theme continues, this resetting of our attitudes. And Paul says, what you're part of is is bigger than any one part. And then he says this next. He says that the gifts of God can only be exercised through the grace of God. If, if we're going to live as if everything we have is a gift from God, if, if our attitude and mindset is going to align with his, then we have to recognize that the gifts he's given us, we can't just use them in our own power and strength. I mentioned earlier that, that there have been seasons in my life that, that I wrestled with insecurity. And sometimes you'll, you'll find something at the right time, at the right moment, just when you need it. And that was me in my early 20s. Somebody gave me a copy of Brennan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. And it was as if I was reading somebody who was inside my own head. If you've ever read a book like that, it's just creepy. You know, you're like, how could you know all this stuff without me? And, and Brennan Manning struggled to accept the unconditional love of God and embrace the fact that he had nothing to prove with God just stirred me deep into my soul. And to this day, it's probably on my top five list of books, personally, that have impacted me. Before Manning died, he wrote his memoirs, and he titled them in a beautiful way. The title of his memoirs were, All is Grace. Everything. Looking back on his life, all that he'd experienced, the good and the bad, he said, you know what? All is grace. Everything you have, everything I have, is a gift from God. And and this mindset pervades Paul's writings. 
he recognizes that he has no reason to be where he is. Because if you read the book before Romans, the book of Acts, I wouldn't hire Paul to be a greeter at Cornerstone. Comes in, yeah, you know, hey, I'm new. I'd love to get involved in serving. Okay, awesome. What's been going on recently? Oh, yeah, I've just been kind of killing Christians, you know. Sure, we'd love to have you serve. (laughs) And Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. All of them penned by Paul. All is grace. Everything you have is a gift. And that's why Paul writes, I think, so eloquently about spiritual gifts in his letters. Here in Romans 12, later on in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, Peter writes about them in 1 Peter 4. He lists out these are the gifts that God has put and deposited into the body of Christ, into individuals for them to use to build up the body. And this is not a message today about spiritual gifts. But the one thing I want to draw your attention to is this. That God's gifts come with specific directions. Now, I don't know how you are with following directions. I've found there tends to be two types of people. Those who jump in and start building and then realize later that you should have used the directions. If someone's nudging you right now, you may have a hint which person you are. And then those of us who read every letter of the directions before we get started. And what Paul says to us is that these gifts are awesome, but there are ways that we are to use them. It's not like God says, okay, here you go. Have fun using them. He gives them specific directions. He says, according to the grace given to us. So you're going to use these gifts according to God's grace. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy, then use it according to the proportion of your faith. If it's in service, use it in service. You can't have the gift of service and not serve people. That's the only way that gift works. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting, exhorting is a Bible word for encouragement. An encouragement. Giving with generosity. You can't have the gift of giving and be a miser, a scrooge, stingy. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. It's not like, I'm going to give you some mercy. You know, it's cheerfully. And the the reason this is important is that I think sometimes we approach the gifts with the wrong mindset. We approach using our gifts with the wrong attitude. At our house, our kids have chores. My wife and I grew up with chores. Our kids have chores. Every night of the week is somebody's night to do dishes. You know, the dishwasher's there to help you, but you actually have to wash everything else in the the sink. My kids have a hard time with this. They're like, I did the dishwasher. No, no, you have to do the dishes. And so there's, there's chores they have to do. Now, I want you to imagine, if you're a parent, what would happen if you came home or you stepped back into the family living space and you found a note from one of your kids? And it went like this. For mowing the lawn, a dollar. For washing the dishes, a dollar. For making the bed, a dollar. You owe me, mother, three dollars. How would that go in your house? Because I'm just telling you, I have a guess how it would go in my house. 
how it would have gone in my house when I was growing up. See, they're using their gifts and talents, but they're using it with a certain kind of attitude. And friends, we bring this same attitude to church. Even here, I've heard phrases like, I've done my part, God. Or church, I've done my time serving. And there's a part of me, it's that part of me I don't often show you. I call him Snarky Scott. That I want to say, is this prison? That you've done your time and now in good behavior we're going to let you off? You know, there is no um, retirement in the kingdom of God. God doesn't say, hey, use your gifts or talents for 40 years and then the end of your life, it's all you. He doesn't say, hey, serve when it's convenient for you, do your part, but hey, don't go beyond that. Imagine if that mother to that child who wrote that note, imagine what she might write. For being in labor with you for 16 hours (laughs) after carrying you for nine months, no charge. For staying up with you all night when you were sick, no charge. For buying you clothing and food, no charge. That's grace-based service. With a little bit of snark thrown in there. See, it's not just the gifts that you've been given. It's using those gifts empowered by the Spirit of God and His grace. Because I will tell you, I've tried to use my gifts before, powered by me. Maybe you've done the same. You know what fruit you get from that? Arrogance, pride, narcissism, insecurity. If you use human power to execute your gifts, you will get human results. But if you use God's power to use and activate the gifts he's given you, you will get results that you could not produce on your own. And friends, there are some reminders I think we need about our gifts. The gifts you have didn't come from you. why they're called gifts. Everything you have that is a gift of God didn't come from you. And these gifts that you're given, they're not for you. If you're using your gifts for what you can get out of it, you need to go back and have some remedial training. These these gifts don't completely provide for you. Like if you have the gift of teaching, What do you need? People to listen? I mean, having the gift of teaching by yourself doesn't do anybody good. If you have the gift of service and mercy, you've got to have people to serve and give mercy to. If you have the gift of encouragement, what are you going to do? Talk to yourself in the mirror? I mean, self-encouragement is great, but, but it, it doesn't provide for you. And then finally, these gifts aren't empowered by you. And I, I, I want to speak right here before I close, because I, I pushed on some of you earlier, and I want to kind of come back full circle. I mentioned that there are some people who say, hey, I, you know, I don't need the church. And I recognize that for some of you, that's because there is real, genuine hurt and pain. 
You're not disconnecting because it's convenient. You're disconnecting because you're trying to care for yourself and not be hurt again. And we live in an era where church hurt is pervasive. I've talked about it here before. And, and so some of, for some of us, we're like, I hear this body stuff, you know, Jesus. I hear this stuff about you want me to, to be a part of something, Jesus. I just don't know if I can take getting hurt again. I don't know if I can take being vulnerable again. And I can relate to that. Just because you serve in a church doesn't mean you're immune from getting hurt in the church. Sometimes it means you take more than anybody else. And in a profound season of church hurt in my 20s, I stumbled on the words of somebody who was able to articulate something that I couldn't, that I needed. And this is what he said. He said, to do for yourself the best that you have it in you to do, to grit your teeth and clench your fists in order to survive the world at its harshest and worst, is by that very act to be unable to let something be done for you and in you that is more wonderful still. When you say, I'm just going to build up a wall, nobody's going to get in, nobody's going to hurt me, nobody's going to have that happen to me again, what you're doing is you're also making sure that something else can't be done for you and in you that's actually more wonderful. The writer continues, he says, the trouble with steeling yourself against the harshness of reality is the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed, secures your life from being opened up and transformed by the holy power that life itself comes from. Frederick Beekner closes, he says, you can survive on your own, you can grow strong on your own, you can even prevail on your own, but you cannot become human on your own. And for some of you, what you have done is you've built up a wall so that nobody can get in, including God. And the deep healing and transformation your soul needs can't come until you open up. Some of you have said, I'm going to be here because I come to church every Sunday, but I don't really care about my relationships. I don't need any more because I don't want to get hurt. And I will just tell you that I have not found anyone who grows in their relationship with God who does not have relationships with people. And so if you're going to close out all of the people that God has made, you're very likely going to also close out the God who made them. I know vulnerability is scary, and it takes profound courage. But to be open to one is to be open to the other. And all of us need to be healed by the one who's made us. So I want to talk to you about some next steps today. Here's the first one. I want you to reflect this week on a question. Where would I be or where wouldn't I be without the grace of God? Some of you have longer to reflect on than others. But I want you to think seriously this week about this. Without the grace of God, where would you be today? Or where wouldn't you be? This week I started thinking about the fact that I would not be married to my wife. We would not have gotten together and we would not have stayed together without the grace of God. 
I'd be the father of one, not three, without the grace of God. Because we should have lost our twins when they were 17 weeks in utero. I wouldn't still be in ministry today without the grace of God. I would have quit. And I would never have found this church without the grace of God. And that reflection time this week that I've already had, that I'm going to encourage you to have, it, it was something my soul needed. And so I want to encourage you to do that this week. Number two, I want you to research your gifts. Now you might say, okay, I need to do a Google search and I pull some books open. No, don't start there. Three things. One, I want to encourage you to get feedback from other people. Like we started with in the beginning. You, you know what happened in, in the days of Paul and everybody until about 50 years ago? People figured out their spiritual gifts without a test. We put too much stock in tests. They're helpful. It's on the list, number three. But if Paul could figure out his gifts and the early church could go from 120 people to dominating the most powerful empire in the world without a test, I would just say don't lean too much on a test. Ask the people around you. Hey, when you observe me and experience me, what do you experience are my gifts? The second part, start serving. Most of us who know what our gifts are today, we didn't start out knowing them. And if you say, I can't serve until I know my gifts, friends, you're going to burn the limited life you have waiting for the clarity you want. And we all know that tomorrow is not guaranteed. So start serving today somewhere. Get some experience. Figure some things out. Plug in. And over time, eventually take an inventory and grow. But research isn't just taking a test. And then number three, connect and serve. You got to have relationships to be able to get some feedback. And you got to have some experience to be able to draw on. And this is where I would encourage you today. There's an opportunity for you to serve here and now. If you're watching online, you can go to prescottcornerstone.com slash serve. If you're here in the room, you can go to the next step station in the lobby. I was so excited. We had about six or eight people sign up to serve last week. It's awesome. And we could do six or eight more. Not because we have needs, but because you have gifts. And everything you have is a gift. So live according. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that it offers us. And Jesus, more than anything else, I thank you for your grace. It's hard to imagine where we would be without your grace. And it's hard to think that we would be where we are today if it wasn't for your grace. So we pray, Jesus, that our lives and our relationships would be saturated with your grace. We pray that you would give us the grace for the moment that we're in, for the moments that lie ahead. We pray that your grace would heal the hurt that we're still carrying from the past. We pray that your grace would open us up to the things you have for us in the future. Jesus, we pray that we would see ourselves and this moment through your eyes. And we pray that you'd use us who've been through a lot in the past, but we
but we believe that with you, the best days are ahead. So we pray that you would do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine because of your grace at work in the church. In your name we pray, Jesus.